you know, there's a lot of stuff in the First Amendment, but my favorite part is when they talk about the poodles. You probably know more about the First Amendment than I do, but you could always learn more. And there's a brand new show on Legal Talk Network about the First Amendment called Make No Law. Here's a quick trailer for the show. News and pop culture are full of controversies about free speech and the First Amendment. We hear terms like hate speech and heckler's veto in a barrage of coverage about campuses, protests, and even wedding cakes. But what does it all mean, and how did we get here? That's exactly what my new show, Make No Law, the First Amendment podcast from Hopat.com, will explore. I'm Ken White, and I invite you to tune in every month for the history, stories, and personalities behind the right to free speech and the most important Supreme Court cases establishing it. You can find Make No Law on LegalTalkNetwork.com, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever you're listening to this podcast. Welcome to Legal Toolkit, bringing you the latest legal trends and business initiatives to help you manage your law firm with your host, Jared Correa. You're listening to Legal Talk Network. Welcome to a new episode of the Legal Toolkit here on the Legal Talk Network. If you were looking for a 13-inch plaster rendering of Scrappy Doo's head, may I suggest eBay? If you're a returning listener, welcome back. If you're a first-time listener, hopefully you'll become a long-time listener. And if you're Tommy Lee Jones, you're probably saying something in a gruff voice somewhere right now. As always, I'm your host, Jared Correa, and in addition to casting this pod, I am the founder and CEO of Red Cave Law Firm Consulting, which offers subscription-based business management consulting and technology services for law firms. Check us out at redcavelegal.com to learn more. That's R-E-D-C-A-V-E-L-E-G-A-L. You can also listen to my other podcast, The Lobby List, a family travel show I host with my wife, Jessica, on iTunes. Subscribe there, rate us, and comment, and that's The Lobby List, L-O-B-B-Y. But here on The Legal Toolkit, we provide you each month with a new tool to add to your own legal toolkit so that your practices will become more and more like best practices. And in this episode, we're going to talk a little bit about law firm names, which is a subject I've wanted to address for a while, including about how terrible they are. But before I introduce today's guests, that's right, guests, plural, let's take a moment to thank our sponsors. AnswerOne is a leading virtual receptionist and answering services provider for lawyers. You can find out more by giving them a call at 800-ANSWER-ONE or online at www.answerone.com. That's www.answerone.com answer the number one dot com scorpion crushes the standard for law firm online marketing with proven campaign strategies to get attorneys better cases from the internet partner with scorpion to get an award-winning website and roi positive marketing programs today visit scorpionlegal.com forward slash podcast we would like to thank our sponsor thompson reuters firm central cloud-based legal practice management that streamlines your day and automates non-billable administrative tasks so you can accomplish more with less. Our first guest is Andrew Garcia, not the one who was in Godfather 3, the other one who is a partner at Phillips Garcia Law in Massachusetts. Andy specializes in estate planning, including Medicaid planning. 
He's a graduate of Suffolk University Law School and currently teaches in its nationally recognized and awarded Accelerator to Practice program. He's appearing on the Today Show and Fox and Friends. And he's also a lifelong resident of the South Coast of Massachusetts, where I was born. In addition to that, as if that wasn't enough, he's an amateur woodworker, much like Ron Swanson from Parks and Recreation. So Andy, welcome to the show. Jared, buddy, thanks for having me. Uh, it's been a long time. I've been waiting to have this honor. So thanks, man. <laughs> I know there's a little bit of a waiting list, but I got you on eventually. Our next guest is Megan Xavier of Xavier Law in California. Megan is a state bar defense attorney. She's been in solo practice for the last decade. Megan's also a regular contributor to popular legal publications like Lawyerist. She's lived all over the United States and has even ventured to Sydney, Australia for at least a little while. She makes legal ethics fun, or at least not terribly, terribly depressing. To that end, Megan has just released a brand spanking new podcast of her own that's called Lawyers Gone Ethical. So make sure you listen to that one too. Welcome to the show, Megan. Thanks, Jared. I'm glad to be here. All right. Let's dive into the topic, everybody. I'm going to start with Andy. Andy, you would agree that you have some strange hobbies, right? Yeah, we uh, we won't go into depth on those, but definitely. <laughs> I'll agree with you there. Yeah. <laughs> Outside of the woodworking I'm talking about. Now, one of the things you do that's particularly interesting in terms of this show is you like to collect truly horrible law firm names. Can you share some of the really random, crazy, terrible, maybe not so terrible law firm names you've discovered over the years? I can. And before we go further in responding to your question, though, Jared, I want to put it in a little bit of context first, okay? So in the process of teaching at Suffolk Law, and I teach a law practice management course there, what the students do is they work in in-class law firms, and one of the first things they need to do is come up with a name for their law firm. And so... We talk about the importance of naming a firm uh, because it provides both the first impression to prospective clients. It's important uh, just in terms of how it looks. Uh, and it's, it's actually, um, students get very invested with the naming. Now, we generally approach naming a firm in two categories. One category is, is sort of a traditional approach where you'll just use, you know, you'll put your last names up on a shingle. The other approach these days, and, and, and I see it happening more and more, is that many law firms are leaning toward trade names. And mm -hmm. so later in the podcast, we can get into more details about the differences between the traditional approach versus the trade name approach and, yeah. and falling somewhere in between those. But here I come, I'm going to circle back now to answer your question. <laughs> in, the process, in the process of teaching about the traditional approaches, we instruct students to always bear in mind, and this, this applies to lawyers too, when you're going to name your law firm, you need to keep in mind when you adopt the traditional approach that sometimes the results can be a little bit humorous when, <laughs> when you see it. So yeah, rather than me insulting a bunch of my colleagues out there across I'll the nation. I'll do that for you. Yeah, you can do that. I'm going to say that there have been some resulting names in the traditional sphere that can cause a chuckle or two. How's that? One that comes to mind is a great law firm out west called Pain and Fears. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. Another one, Ball and Weed. <laughs> I've run into Boring and Boring. That's just the worst one. Like, how do you not realize that? <laughs> I like this uh, firm as well. I think it's a husband and wife firm, Bickers and Bickers. 
<laughs> There's also Lowball and Lynch. I especially like Alicia Slaughter <laughs> there on the West Coast. And again, to any of you who may be listening, these are not horrible names whatsoever. It's just that they do provide us with some nice examples of what can happen when you when you adopt that traditional approach. Just know that Andy doesn't hate you. You just have a weird law firm name. Um, <laughs> those are pretty good. Thank you for sharing. Megan, I know you've come across some weird law firm names as well. Would you like to add anything to Andy's list? Well, actually, one of the ones that I really did run into in real life that he mentioned was Lowball and Lynch. And I remember, and this is exactly why we talk about this, I remember the impression that left on me. They were opposing counsel. And we first got a missive from them. We went, what? Seriously? Lowball and Lynchum? You know, like you just immediately have to start making jokes. You can't help it. And we thought, well, what are settlement discussions going to be like with these guys? <laughs> did you think they were real at first or did you think it was like a spam email or something? Oh, and we knew it was real. It was actually, you know, the way it was delivered. We we knew that they were for real, but we said it out loud. And then it was like, wait a second. And that's just not usually the impression that you hope your name We'll leave. I'm sure that somewhere in that firm, someone thought about this when they put the name together, or at least we hope so, but it certainly didn't leave the right impression at first. They did turn out to be quite sophisticated litigators, I have to say, with all due respect to them. But yeah, the name. I feel like you kind of have to be, right? Isn't this like a boy named Sue situation? It is a bit. You'd better be good to have a name like that. <laughs> That's right. So th this all brings to mind the question I have, Andy and Megan, like, why are lawyers so thoroughly uncreative in naming their businesses. And I mean, imagine if Coca-Cola was called like Feingold Smith Rogers and Feingold Tonic. No one would buy that. Like, doesn't somebody sit down and say, hey, let's say this name out loud once and see how it sounds. Like what's happening creatively? I'll start with you, Megan. Well, I do hope they're doing that just like we should when we name children. But <laughs> I think sometimes they don't. But one reason truly from an ethics perspective, and of course that's the questions I always get right, is that people don't think that they can be creative. Lawyers look at their, our history and we've always named law firms after the people who work there or who own the firm. And they think that's just how it's done. And they don't really realize that there is freedom to be more creative. So that's one part. I also think there's a lot of ego involved. I think that people <laughs> love to see their name on the door. And they've, you know, reached a certain point in their professional lives. They're licensed to practice law. Maybe they're straight out of school. Maybe they're not. But they want to see Jones and Smith on the door because that makes them feel important. And I really think ego plays a role. Mm. And then my other reason that I think people don't get more creative is that partners don't always agree on how to do a more creative name, but they can usually agree on putting all of their names together. And so if you have partners involved then there's some status that goes on amongst them, some jostling mm -hmm. of whose name is first, but it's kind of easy to agree to use your names. That's a good point. I, li I like all those points. So what you're saying is I th shouldn't have named my son Thundar. Is that a bad choice? <laughs> all right, Andy, do you have anything to add to that? Like, what do you think is the reason for this? So Megan makes some great points. And mm. I think, you know, being at Suffolk now many of these years, I think her first point is excellent. I think a lot of lawyers just, they don't realize that they can be creative and, and opt with a trade name or opt with a tagline because we, you know, we just don't teach them that in school. I think many of us default to that traditional approach of just putting up our names. We could be driven by ego. I know that in some of the teachings and some of the readings that I've come across, some commentators, you know, they'll say that 
hey, the, you know, you're the service provider. And since people are really buying services from you, they're buying you, therefore use your name and, and brand yourself with your name. And I think Megan's also right that, uh, again, we just as lawyers don't realize that, you know, maybe a trade name will work for us, particularly if we are exploring a niche practice area, something that yeah. lends itself very well to a trade name. Yeah. Finally, I would say too, in some instances, it may be actually difficult to go with a trade name if you're dealing with multiple partners who might be handling different practice areas. You know, yep. if you have one practice here, you know, one lawyer's handling criminal, another one's handling immigration, and a third one's handling estate planning. How do you merge or complement those three practice areas together in such a way that just one trade name covers them all? Yeah, no, that's a good extension on Megan's point about partners being able to agree that practical component of practice areas. That's smart. I also like the notion of a tagline because lawyers don't use taglines very regularly either in the way they market their businesses. What are your thoughts on lawyers doing that? That's a really good point because that's a way to avoid having to come up with a trade name. Maybe if you're a solo, it completely avoids having to have a fictitious business name yeah. statement. You know, you could just be Smith Law, but then you could have a really great tagline that explains what you do and you can change that easily. You know, you can test it. If it doesn't work well, you can try something else. It's not a big deal to change. It's not like changing your letterhead and domain. I think it's a great idea. Andy, do you use a tagline for your law firm? I think you do, right? Yes. For the estate planning practice area in our firm, we do. So you're so savvy. <laughs> well, no, Megan, Megan makes an excellent point of why taglines are great because taglines can be changed. And also taglines really are a great way to combine both a traditional approach and a way to convey to prospective clients exactly what the firm can do for them, what value the firm can bring to them. So, you know, I've seen some great taglines where you've combined the traditional approach. There's a lawyer in down in Florida who uses a traditional approach for his or her name, but then adds the tagline Tampa DUI defense. So, you know, mm -hmm. right there we know yep. that that attorney's providing DUI services. Uh, another one, another tax attorney who uses the tagline defending taxpayers all across America. Hmm. You know, again, what a great tagline because yeah. here we know if we're in trouble with the IRS, hey, we can give him a call, even if we might be in Massachusetts where I am and he might be, let's say in Texas. Hmm. I've thoroughly enjoyed this section because this reminds me of those old wedding announcements that Jay Leno used to do on The Tonight Show with like the humorous combinations of names. Maybe I'm dating oh. myself right now, <laughs> but- um, I remember those. <laughs> good, all right. And we've got some good tips for lawyers who want to think differently about naming their law firms. But we're going to take a break right now so we can talk about some well-named product vendors. Here is all the stuff you need to buy. Is your firm experiencing missed calls, empty voicemail boxes, and potential clients you'll never hear from again? Enter Answer One Virtual Receptionists. They're more than just an answering service. Answer One's available 24-7. They can even schedule appointments, respond to emails, integrate with Clio, and much more. Answer One helps make sure your clients have the experience they deserve. Give them a call yourself at 800-ANSWER-1 or visit them at answerone.com forward slash podcast for a special offer. Do you feel like your marketing efforts aren't getting you the high value cases your firm deserves? For over 15 years, Scorpion has helped thousands of law firms just like yours to attract new cases and to grow their practices. As a Google Premier Partner and winner of Google's Platform Innovator Award, Scorpion has the right resources and technology to aggressively market your law firm and to generate better cases from the internet. 
For more information, visit scorpionlegal.com forward slash podcast today. Thanks for coming back. I'm still here and so are Andrew Garcia of Phillips Garcia Law and Megan Xavier of Xavier Law. And we're talking about law firm naming conventions or the lack thereof. So one of the obvious alternatives to the standard name, 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 PLLC law firm is to use a trade name instead. And we addressed that in the last section. Like you could call yourself the most awesome law firm ever, PLLC. But wait, Megan, why can't you actually call yourself that? Yeah, you definitely can't. You can't use a trade name that would be false or misleading. And I think most people would find a trade name that implies that you are the best, whether you are or not, way too subjective and definitely misleading. Very good. You passed the test. So now you're an ethics attorney. So here's the ethics attorney's moment to shine. We talked about trade names. We talked about taglines. What kind of ethical restrictions are in place? I talked to attorneys across the United States and some of them want to start their own firms and they're reticent to choose a trade name because they think it may be banned by their state ethics rules or they might be severely restricted in what they can choose for a name. So Megan, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, definitely. You know, no matter what we say here, every state has its own little pieces of this and different ways of looking at it. So definitely state rules matter. And I certainly look at this from the ABA model rules and the California rules for the general propositions. And those are the same. So one of the biggest ethics restrictions that we see when it comes to trade names is you can't imply in any way that you're part of a government agency. And that can be really broadly construed. So think of it this way. I defend lawyers before the State Bar of California. So if you ask me colloquially, what do you do? I'm a State Bar defense attorney, but I can't put State Bar of California defense attorney or State Bar defense as my name because it makes it sound like I'm part of the State Bar. And that can be tough because our practice area is often described using the same words as the primary agencies before which we appear. So for example, Workers' Compensation Relief Center was found to be a violation of that rule, that it sounded like you were part of the Workers' Compensation Agency. So you've got to be really careful with those. And same with if it's a charity, you can't sound like you're part of a charity. So if you like that relief agency sounds like you're part of a charitable service instead Mm. of a for-profit law firm. So those are big ones. Would the same rules to your mind apply to taglines as well? Or would that be a different thing? So the rules don't say anything about taglines. Oh, you know, the rules not. are about yes. trade names. <laughs> yeah. um, and so it's one of those, that's why I'm here. This is, this is how, why I have a job. We say, oh, well, what if I try this? What do we think the regulators would do? With trade names, it's you know, right out front, it's how people talk about you and refer to you and your domain name and it's on your business card. With a tagline, you're describing what you do. We haven't found to be so hindered as to not be able to describe our practices. You still don't sound like you're part of the agency. Like I do have on my business card, it says Xavier Law, Megan Xavier, State Bar Defense Attorney. I don't think anyone looks at that and thinks, oh, I bet she's a member of the, uh, you know, part of the actual State Bar or employed by the State Bar. It's pretty obvious. This is who I'm employed by. And this is what I do. So I would not expect that we would find any regulators going after people for taglines that describe their work using the same words that agency names contain. But, you know, I never swear to it with with state bar regulators. I won't hold my breath waiting for that comment (laughs) to come into the rules. Do you know of any states that ban trade names 
in totality? I'm not aware of any state in which you can't use a trade name, period. I suppose that's possible and don't practice everywhere. But I would just say everyone should look to their rules because the useful thing with the rules is that there are often examples given in the comments that each state adopts. So even if the rule looks the same, those comments can give some really specific guidance. Oh, good point. Yeah, nobody reads the rules, but even fewer people read the comments. So they've got some viable information in there. Oh, the comments are awesome. If you're not reading the comments, you're probably missing the whole point of the rule. Yeah, I think calling the comments awesome might be strong, but I get your point. (laughs) So Andy, coming back to you. For a law firm that can and wants to develop a trade name, given that there looks like there's some latitude in terms of the ethics rules, what's the best strategy to actually choose a name? Well, I think that the law firm needs to look internally into what practice areas they are offering, first of all. If you're a law firm that is uh, providing a bunch of different practice areas, then simply put, a trade name may be difficult for you to come up with. Maybe I should just back up a little bit more there and just talk about generally the trade names. So some trade names I've seen out there really identify the practice area that the firm is delivering. So for example, I, you know, I've seen in the elder law sphere, I've seen law firms with trade names called the Center uh, for Elder Law. Another one, Senior Solutions, LLC, Attorneys at Law. So here the trade name really just identifies what type of practice area that firm is going to provide. But, you know, arguably you could also have a trade name that just sort of pins you to a geographic area. Again, following the ethics rules, we don't want to violate those, you know, and I always remind my students as well, Yes, check your ethics rules to make yeah. sure whatever name you're choosing is not going to be violative of them. But maybe I decide I'm in with my partner and, and we're in the South Coast of Massachusetts and maybe we want to call ourselves the South Coast Legal Center, something like that. That trade name is not necessarily identifying the services that we're providing. Mm. It's just identifying us from a location standpoint and and also identifying to a prospective client that we're providing legal services. Yeah. So I think that's one thing. I think, you know, one of the cons that we frequently talk about in terms of using a trade name, though, is that, you know, it kind of can pigeonhole you into what you're doing. Mm -hmm. That's true. If all you're doing is providing elder law services, well, then a name like Senior Solutions is absolutely perfect. I mean, it's great. You know, it tells the world what you're doing. And uh, my opinion, it even elevates the firm almost to expert status. Oh, be careful there. Be careful there. I think Megan's starting to sweat. I know she is. That's why I was bringing it up in, (laughs) in, in those terms, because it almost elevates you from a consumer standpoint to, wow, these guys must be the expert go-to people when it comes to senior solutions, okay? But it also pigeonholes you there because if you decide that, you know, you wanna switch up now and start offering immigration services, that may be difficult to do within the confines of that trade name. Yeah, that's a great point. You know, the expert point that you bring up is definitely something to bear in mind, I think from an ethical standpoint. So in terms of like naming a law firm, a name that has nothing to do with the practice area. How do you feel about that? Like building a brand based on like a totally unique name that someone would just find catchy or memorable. Do you know of any firms that do that? I do not 
I know of very few. Yeah. What about like Think Pink Law? She's actually out of Massachusetts. Yes. Julie, Julie Tolick. Yes. Oh, mm-hmm. yes. I've heard of her. That's right. Yeah, yeah. So she does gun law and she brands herself. It's all about the femininity. She's Think Pink Law. She always has something pink on. She's beautiful with long blonde hair and always made up gorgeous. And here she's doing this incredibly masculine profession of specializing in gun law. And here... If you see Think Pink Law, you have no idea what she does. It's not her name. It doesn't say guns. Now, her logo does, but the name doesn't. But she's building a brand around that. It's about her. I think it's a fabulous approach. And now that you mention her, doesn't she drives around in a pink car even, I think. I believe so. Yeah, Julie, if you're, I hope you're listening because you're basically getting a commercial for free here. So I, <laughs> I want some Rolos. <laughs> It almost reminds me of Gonzo Law, almost. Um, I think it's absolutely fabulous, that kind of approach and, and what you can do with that, just that brand itself. And boy, talk about flexibility. She can, you can I mean, do she can really do anything. Yeah. I'm hoping that more lawyers will adopt that approach moving forward. I think it's I think it's very viable and it separates you in the market. And I think in, in terms of fear, like fear level one is moving away from your name. Fear level two is moving away from something that's descriptive of a practice area. This has been a great discussion. We're getting it along in the tooth on this section, though, so I'm going to take another break. And while I listen for that lonesome whippoorwill, you listen to some more words from our sponsors. Firm Central cloud-based legal practice management software for solo and small firms provides a single online location for all of the tools you need to manage client files and perform client work and offers unrivaled integration with Westlaw. With Firm Central, you can securely store and organize documents and case files, manage time tracking and billables, and collaborate with clients through a secure client portal from anywhere there is an internet connection. Thanks for coming back. This is our last segment. How was your linguista pizza? Andy, I'm looking at you right now. Are you having a linguista pizza right now? Because if you are, I'm really jealous. I'm loving it, Jared. I'm loving man, it. Man, man. I can explain that later, Megan, if you want. Um, but let's re-engage now with Andrew Garcia of Phillips Garcia Law and Megan Xavier of Xavier Law, whom we're talking to about naming law firms. So let's bring it back around, Andy. If a law firm doesn't want to do a trade name or can't, is there a way or ways to spice up a traditional law firm name? And does the entity choice have any relevance for marketing purposes in that construct? Like, is it viable or valuable to have like LLC after your law firm name versus like PC? You know, let me talk about the entity choice first, Sure. <laughs> just in my opinion. You know, it used to be that when my partner and I first started out, we had named our firm, just our last names. So it was Phillips and Garcia, comma, PC. Mm-hmm. That was it. Yep. And then I came to the realization that not only was this a very basic traditional approach, of course, we were identifying what our entity was, but what our firm lacked was any kind of identifier that we were actually doing law. And I had one of those aha moments when I identified my firm to them and they said, so what do you do? And then I started really looking around and and started realizing that many law firms don't even use that identifier. I was missing that sort of spice right there. You know, what a huge mistake I was making from a marketing standpoint too, because here I am, you know, Phillips and Garcia PC. People could confuse me with my brother down the street who's an engineer in his, in his engineering firm. 
Garcia Galuska D'Souza, they had no identifier either yeah. until, we, again, we started realizing that we needed to spice it up a bit from a marketing standpoint. You know, to get back to the whole entity identifier, I'm not sure that from a marketing standpoint, and I'll rely on Megan for the ethical opinion here, but I'm not, I'm not too sold on the LLC or the PC being of any value these days in terms of, in terms of marketing the brand. Because clients don't know what that means really, right? Yeah. They don't know or they don't care. Yes. Yes. I think those are all really good points, Andy. And, and simply putting law or legal into a firm name changes things up a good deal. So Megan, in terms of firms that want to go with the traditional name, 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 conventional law firm designation because they have to or because they ain't looking for trouble, what potential ethics issue can arise even from like vanilla names? Because there seems to be a lot of leeway there, right? I mean, dead partners can remain on a law firm letterhead for like forever, right? They can. Yes. You can see dead people in your law oh, firm names. Oh, nice. Nice pull there. But, but even there, you have to check your state's rules. Most of them have no issue with it because there's an ongoing association of that name with the firm. Johnny Cochran's firm still has his name on it. Oh, I did not know that. But if that partner left and did something else and then died, you could have a problem because they're identified with the next thing that they did. So you have to look at that and you have to look at whose names you're putting on there. If the person, the two names that are married together in the law firm name aren't really partners, that's probably an ethics violation mm -hmm. because people coming in think it's a partnership. You can't put and associates at the end if there are no associates. You know, if it's Jones, Smith and associates, but the only two lawyers are Jones and Smith, it makes it sound like there's more lawyers involved. So you can't do that. So you've mm -hmm. got to make sure that you're putting the right names together, even though it seems really safe to just list everyone's names. That's a great point. I also think like bringing it back to this conversation that we just had with Andy, like if your name is punny, I think you can make a play off of that too. Like if my last name was Sweet, I might do something surrounding candy, you know? with the way I branded my law firm. So let's talk a little bit about that. Like, and this is open to everybody, like in terms of a name that a firm chooses and how they decide to play around with it and make it part of their branding, what other marketing strategy decisions does that affect? Like from picking a URL to finalizing a logo to picking like a website color scheme. What do you think about that? And let's start with Megan this time. Well, I think you have to realize that whatever firm name you choose is going to be shortened and nicknamed in various ways and you need to play with it. Again, yeah. it's like naming a child. Figure out their initials. <laughs> Don't make it ASS. You know, figure <laughs> out what the initials are going to be of your firm name. Like Australians, we seem to shorten everything. And if you don't understand that Australians truly do take every word they can and make it shorter. And sometimes the <laughs> the nickname is actually no shorter, but they do it anyway. Like Christmas, they'll call Chrissy. It's still two syllables, yeah, but registration is rego. Okay, I give them that. <laughs> they got a couple syllables off. My son, Matthew, became Maddie. I'm like, it's just the same number of syllables. <laughs> but anyway, like that, Law firm names get condensed. You know, Cravath, Swain, and Moore. Does anybody remember Swain and Moore? I was super familiar with Cravath in my big law days. And I have to tell you this afternoon, I Googled it to make sure I had that right because I was like, Moore, Moore? Cravath, Swain, and yeah, Moore. I think so um, because we keep shortening them. And so when you think about your name, you might have the grandest four partners together with LLP, whatever at the end that will look beautiful across letterhead and, you know, in the old days of metallic, nice font on beautiful paper. 
but that's just not how it's done anymore. And so how is it going to be shortened? What are you going to call yourselves? What's that URL going to be? Because it had better not be Kirkpatrick, Lockhart, Nicholson, and Graham.com. No one's going to remember that. So what you're saying is get your name first on the letterhead. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I have to say, I've always felt bad for those later names. I joined Kirkpatrick and Lockhart, which then merged and became Kirkpatrick and Lockhart, Nicholson, Graham, which then became KNLNG, then <laughs> KNL, eventually merged with Bill Gates's dad's firm. It became yeah. KNL Gates. I'm like, whatever happened to poor Mr. Nicholson and Mr. Graham? Yeah. They're still here. <laughs> Toast. <laughs> That's why you need a trade name. Everybody's happy. Not just one person. All right, Andy, go ahead. Sorry. Hey, but circling back, I think, uh, Jared, you make a really good point when you were uh, talking about last names that can actually be used yes. uh, for marketing purposes. In like terms. So when too. you were talking about, yeah, you were talking about the last name is sweet and somehow... You know, maybe that could be sweet law, and then you, you can make a whole marketing campaign just built off of how sweet you are as a law firm. So I think the point is that even employing a traditional approach, it can actually work when it comes to your marketing. Yes. And, you, you know, you can be, you know, if you're lucky enough to have that kind of a last name, it can work to your advantage. And just, just as an example, so last year I had a, in class, I had an in-class law firm of two members, and they were putting together a business plan for a law firm that would provide, using my best memory here, but they would effectively provide entertainment and intellectual property law for artists and writers, okay? It just so happened that their last names, when combined in a traditional approach, was the flip-flop of a very fam famous author. Oh, that's awesome. And yeah. I mean, and and so when they used it, and I have to admit, I didn't know who the author was, but when, was <laughs> but when they used it and when they presented it and they explained the rationale behind it and how it that kind of name could actually resonate to the target market they were trying to attract for their firm. Wow, that made sense. It was a great moment for the traditional approach, in my opinion. No, that is a great, great moments in traditional law firm naming. That could be a whole separate podcast. That's right, yeah. <laughs> One of the reasons I stopped practicing law, I think, is because my last name is Korea. I'm from the North Shore of Massachusetts. So North Korea did not really have great connotations in terms of branding. <laughs> Couldn't work around that. <laughs> it might depend on your practice area. <laughs> maybe, maybe. <laughs> there might be a niche there for you, Jared. Maybe, maybe, maybe. I'll go back one of these days. No, I won't. Um, but Andy, you were going to say something else. Go ahead. I'm a big fan of the trade name uh, being used in a URL, or maybe put a different way, the specialty URL. I'm a big fan of that because we all may have multiple marketing campaigns and picking up URLs that contain in the URL name, whatever your practice area might be, whatever your niche practice might be, I think is really effective from a marketing standpoint because you can develop whole marketing campaigns around your particular URL. So for example, a couple of years back, remember we had that awful winter and then all of a sudden there were tons of people with ice dam problems. Yes, like me. Yeah, from the melting and the snow, you know, the snow. My daughter was born during the storm and for the first six months of her life, four of us were in one room. I remember that very well. Oh, okay. So that, and, yeah, no, but that's not a digression. That was the year that many people had massive amounts of roof damage and yes. property damage from yes. these ice dams. So anyway, my partner was really interested in trying to land some of these property damage claims cases. So 
we found the URL icedamclaims.com and started using that in a specific marketing campaign aimed directly at that type of case. So even though we didn't change the firm name, we didn't have to change, you know, we didn't have to change the firm name, we didn't have to change a tagline, we could actually just use that specific URL, that specialty URL as a marketing campaign for, for a specific type of case. And so I, I urge lawyers to really think out of the box when it comes to marketing campaigns and actually picking up specialty URLs. That's a good suggestion. Um, Megan, do you have anything to add on this uh, topic at this point? I just think Andy's idea is awesome. I just had to say that. <laughs> That's a really great idea, especially like that particular idea there with the ice dams. It's a limited time that that's going to be a big issue. Mm -hmm. And you can quickly put it out there, grab the market share. I mean, it's just a really good idea. Andy's just huddled in front of his computer <laughs> buying URLs at 2 a.m. <laughs> He's like, I, I have another idea. <laughs> It's only ten bucks for this one. <laughs> yeah, we've hit we've hit about a hundred URLs, I think, on, on GoDaddy. Uh, well, this has been a great discussion, but sadly, sadly, that's going to do it for this episode of Legal Toolkit and for the podcasting team of Korea Garcia and Xavier PC. My partners maybe won't, but I'll be back for future shows with further insights into my soul, the soul of America, and the legal market. If you're feeling nostalgic, however, for my dulcet tones, you can check out our entire show archive anytime you want at LegalTalkNetwork.com. So thanks to Andrew Garcia of Phillips Garcia Law for appearing on today's show. Andy, can you tell folks how to find out more about you and your firm? Absolutely. Speaking of specialty URLs, they can visit me at SouthCoastEstatePlanning.com and also find me on Facebook, find me on Twitter. I encourage... Uh, hooking up on Facebook and Twitter. So look for me out there. Thanks also to Megan Xavier of Xavier Law for coming on the show as well. Megan, can you tell everybody how to find out more about you and your firm and a little bit about your new podcast? Thanks. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you can find me on Twitter these days. That's probably the best place to get with me and engage. That's where you can find me at Xavier Law. And my website, if you remember names, is xavierlaw.com. But if you forget my name, but you remember what I do, I have my blog at californiastatebardefense.com. And then, yes, the podcast is coming out um, in a matter of days. It's called Lawyers Gone Ethical. It's going to be some straight talk about legal ethics. It's going to be a lot of fun because we're going to talk about some practical nuts and bolts of what's going on in the evolution of the business of law and how that goes along with the ethics rules. So people can do things like figure out trade names that don't violate the ethics rules. It's going to be a lot of fun. Straight talk on legal ethics. I like it. And by the time this show releases, that podcast will be available. So just be aware of that. You can listen to it now. And finally, thanks to all of you out there for listening. This has been Andrew Garcia of Phillips Garcia Law and Megan Xavier of Xavier Law. And it's also been another episode of the Legal Toolkit Podcast on Legal Talk Network. Talk to you next time. Thanks for listening to Legal Toolkit, produced by the broadcast professionals at Legal Talk Network. Join host Jared Correa for his next podcast covering the current business trends for law firms. If you'd like more information about today's show, please visit LegalTalkNetwork.com. Subscribe via iTunes and RSS. Find Legal Talk Network on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Or download the free app from Legal Talk Network in Google Play and iTunes. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, 
Legal Talk Network. Its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. for a podcast that was created for new solos? Then join me, Adriana Linares, each month on the new solo podcast. We talk to lawyers who have built their own successful practices and share their insights to help you grow yours. You can find new solo on the Legal Talk Network or anywhere you get your podcast.